This is an RNZ podcast. It's been a big week for the two state-owned broadcasters, TVNZ and our own RNZ. On Thursday, the top brass of both were at Parliament for their annual review, just days after the Minister of Broadcasting confirmed that both broadcasters were under review themselves, because the government now wants to replace both of them with one single new public broadcasting entity. But RNZ's session before the Economic Development, Science and Innovation Committee at Parliament last Thursday was dominated by another big issue. You probably know all about it by now. RNZ announced last week that RNZ Concert would move off FM and become fully automated on an AM frequency to make way for a new service for younger New Zealanders. Consultation with RNZ's music staff was underway and they believed that many of them were going to lose their jobs. But then came that headline-making backlash and the government said it had asked RNZ to wait and see if a spare FM frequency could be freed up. The committee's MPs had plenty of questions about whether RNZ had asked for the frequency or not from the Ministry for Culture and Heritage. Did you explicitly ask for a frequency for the youth radio? We, what I did is I talked I've about... I've heard that. I've yeah. asked a very direct question. Did you explicitly ask for a frequency? No, but okay, what I did thank you. I, That's what I needed yeah. to know. MP Deborah Russell there quizzing RNZ's Chief Executive Paul Thompson and the Ministry for Culture and Heritage after that had no comment to make about his claim that it had been told that those frequencies would be too hard to get. Now that session in Parliament was kicked off by a statement from the board chair of RNZ, Dr Jim Mather, in which he answered his own questions himself. Did RNZ ignore the request of the Minister at the meeting on January 29? We definitely did not ignore the request. We believe that the Minister had agreed to RNZ not delaying our internal staff consultation on potential changes to RNZ concert whilst MCH explored the option of reviewing the FM frequency previously reserved for youth music. And shortly after that, Dr Mather was grilled on RNZ's 9 to noon by Catherine Ryan in an interview that lasted longer than the actual annual review at Parliament. The upshot of all this is that RNZ's concert-cutting plan has now been abandoned, and with government support, a new business case will be done for the new RNZ Youth Service that Dr Mather described this way at RNZ's annual review. Our vision remains to create a multimedia platform for young New Zealanders which will include music produced by local artists as well as live performances. The level of locally produced music will be unrivaled in the history of our nation. Commissioned programming content for young people that will explore topics relevant to them, such as civic, financial, lifestyle, and most importantly, well-being issues. Access to complementary RNZ services focused on younger audiences, such as podcasts, Trusted news made for and made by younger audiences and also providing a range of new employment opportunities. It is our intent to provide an opportunity for young New Zealanders to build a community designed by them, produced for them, presented by them and in doing so creating a lifelong connection with RNZ. Over the past week, Dr Mather, Chief Executive Paul Thompson and RNZ's Head of Music, Willie McAllister, have all cited one existing service as something of a model for what they have in mind, Triple J from Australia's public broadcaster, the ABC. If you look at Triple J in Australia or BBC Radio 1 in Britain, they are leading um, services that uh, promote the local culture, the local voices, are staffed by local people. So we know there's an op- that suggests there's an opportunity, but New Zealand's very different. Coincidentally, it's a Kiwi that's in charge of the content at Triple J, 
Ollie Wards, and Media Watch's producer Hayden Donnell discovered he's got some pretty firm views about RNZ's plan for younger people. Ollie, welcome to the Media Watch Castle. Just first off, can you tell <laughs> us what Triple J is and what's your role there? Yeah, let me climb up on the battlements of the Media Watch Castle. I uh, am the content director of Triple J, so we are a uh, national youth network, a non-commercial public broadcaster network of the ABC in Australia. We target 18 to 24s, and we are all over the country, uh, all over the big country. We have our record reach of people listening to us on FM at the moment, but we are very much a content maker across all platforms where young people can find us on streaming services, social media, and via listening to the radio as well. It's very interesting because it sounds a lot like a certain proposal that came out of a certain radio station in New Zealand recently. So Mm. there's been a huge fuss about this proposal to sideline Concert FM in favour of a new network, youth network here. You must have been a little bit more positive about the proposal hearing it at first. Yeah, and I should say that RNZ approached me uh, a couple of years ago to write a research paper for them about the opportunity for a youth network in New Zealand, which I did do. That was in 2017. Hmm. So I have been involved with RNZ. Um, A team of them actually came over to Triple J recently to uh, meet with us and and meet with myself and a bunch of other people from Triple J as well as a few other uh, stations in Australia. So I have had a a little bit to do with this, but most recently I have uh, just been watching uh, it all play out in in New Zealand. And I think, um, you know, I would say that the opportunity for a young focused music network of a non-commercial nature similar to Triple J in New Zealand really does excite me. I think that's um, something that young people in New Zealand deserve. I think it would really uh, energize and, and and lift the New Zealand music industry. And I also think that uh, it would be the kind of content maker that audiences don't know in New Zealand. And, and being a Kiwi myself and Working in radio in the UK and then in Australia at Triple J, I've really come to understand the opportunity and the beauty, I guess, of a non-commercial youth targeting network. And I would love to see that be in New Zealand for young people. That's interesting. Does the non-commercial nature of this youth network actually make a big difference? Because we do have youth stations here that target uh, commercial youth stations that target younger people. To that, and I, th- I have seen that that's been one of the arguments uh, against this proposal, I suppose, is that uh, the idea that the commercial networks in New Zealand are already targeting young people. I mean, I would point to a very simple audience matrix that you can find on the Radio Bureau website. So the Radio Bureau in New Zealand, they're a, um, a advertising agency facing organisation that represents both of the major commercial networks and um, so they are, you know, representing the commercial industry and they're saying to advertising agencies, okay, these are the people that each network is targeting. And if you look at the matrix that they've provided on their website of the target audiences of the commercial stations, not one of them is targeting anybody under 25. So that doesn't mean that people under 25 aren't listening to stations like ZM or, or, or The Edge or, or any of the others. Of course they are. But... In New Zealand, there currently isn't 
a real offering designed for young people being made by young people as well. And I think that's a, a, a crucial aspect to this mm. is there's a lot of talking down going on. There's a lot of people talking about young people and there's uh, not really, as far as I've seen, much discussion about what is in the interests of those younger Kiwis who aren't currently being serviced. Yeah, I, there's a lot to unpack there, really. I mean, so this audience matrix that you posted, you actually posted it to the Save Radio New Zealand concert Facebook page. Uh, yes. It shows that the the youngest targeting that a commercial station is doing, I think, is Flavor, and that's about 25. So, I mean, how did that go, posting that to the Save Radio New Zealand concert Facebook page? Look, I, I think... The the group and the kind of uh, lobbying, I guess, for for concert is is totally valid. What I what I'm trying to do is um, I'm trying to kind of illustrate that the values and importance that we see in a public broadcaster and really any of its forms should be applied across its potential services. So hopefully, the people that have been supportive of concert will now also be supportive of a youth network. Yeah, and I guess because it was this binary, maybe these people, they felt that they had to criticise the youth station to sort of lift up concert, and that wasn't every one of the protesters, but there was that there. And one of the criticisms that they had is something that you mentioned earlier, young young people aren't listening to the radio anymore. You know, they're all on Spotify, they're all on streaming services, <laughs> and you reject that? Well, I'd be out of a job if I, uh, you know, what, 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 what do I do every day? And young people are across platforms. It's very important that we meet young people where they are. You know, to give you an example, the Triple J hit list. So that's the uh, list of songs that we add to rotation on the radio each week. We actually make a uh, Spotify playlist called the Triple J hit list. And that is the most popular, most followed playlist in Australia on Spotify, that's not a Spotify native playlist. So, uh, I, and it's it's one of the most popular in the world. Even it's got just over three hundred thousand people following that. So, we have our young audience in mind. We meet them where they are, and that's across platforms. But that's not to say that the FM uh, backbone of Triple J and and the sort of linear broadcast stream isn't extremely well engaged with by young people across Australia. And um, I think to underwrite any youth network of this kind, the FM broadcast is still, it's still where most people engage with Triple J in any given week. I mean, we're talking about uh, 2.087 million. So just uh, over 2 million people in Australia's five capital cities alone. So not including regions uh, listening to the FM broadcast each week. That's actually a record number of people listening, and it's the record number of our target demographic, the 18 to 24-year-olds listening at yeah, the moment so as you, well. You, you're, you've reported strong growth in social media, Instagram followers, you know, that kind of, you, you mentioned Spotify, but you say that having this broadcast radio frequency underpins that, or why, uh, mm. why, why is it actually still important, and is it going to continue to be important into the future? Yeah, good question. I mean, like I just said, we, we at Triple J, we've got our uh, record reach and, and, and record numbers of people tuning in to us in, in our linear broadcast stream. That's not necessarily just by FM. I mean, many, most of those are still FM, but that records people listening on things like DAB, the online stream, um, Triple J's app. And I think that's a really important thing to point out is that um, that kind of cross-platform approach is going to become more and more important as time goes on. But uh, the other thing is FM will continue to be strong for the foreseeable future because the the numbers of it is, is just wildly um, 
the majority of engagement to the to the listening format across any given week and while in the future fm may come into question i mean you've got countries in scandinavia that are turning that have turned fm off Mm -hmm. um but uh for, for the foreseeable future it's definitely important to underpin the network with an fm broadcast frequency and i think um there may be a discussion in the future like in norway where you you might look at um turning turning fm off but um, I don't think that's going to be happening in the in the next ten to twenty years in New Zealand. I think the problem for a lot of people thinking about Radio New Zealand setting up a youth frequency, it's kind of like that meme, you know, how do you do, fellow kids? And it's Steve Buscemi in a backwards cap yeah. with a skateboard. You know, we've got this brand. He's got the is, T-shirt on that yeah. says music band. <laughs> exactly. We've got this brand which is seen, and it's seen now audience stats, which is seen as Pākehā mainly. It's 40-plus. And right. so setting up a youth radio brand, maybe it's going to be such a challenge for us You've advised. You said. Isn't that exactly why Radio New Zealand needs to be doing something like this? Because the audience is older and Pakiha, and you know New Zealand's public broadcaster uh, should be working hard to target um, all New Zealanders and, and and diversify its audience. And I think that's that's actually what the goal here exactly. is. Exactly, and the, and that's the just that's the rationale. But it's also so, probably the greatest challenge, isn't it? So I mean, how does a station like Radio New Zealand successfully set up a a youth radio brand? I think is it just hiring young people? This is what Triple J's model is. Well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't expect um, the people who are working on. RNZ's other brands to to directly cross pollinate and and suddenly now be working on targeting young people. I mean, it needs to be for young people by young people, and I think the lineup of people that you hear or see from from this new brand is extremely important. It needs to be a diverse group of young people that represents, you know, all young New Zealanders, and and, and that um, means a, a whole lot of diversity. It means people from the cities, it means people from the regions, uh, LGBTI, Māori Pacific Islander, or um, culturally and linguistically diverse um, backgrounds. There's, there's a lot to this that needs to have a new team and a new resource. But do they also need to be siloed off from older fuddy-duddies like me or Colin? No, I don't think so. I mean, Triple J is very much part of the ABC. And so I don't think there's any idea that a new RNZ youth brand needs to somehow be in a separate building and can't possibly touch any fuddy-duddies. There's a lot of experience there that's that's really valuable to any new service from RNZ that would be part of it. But it is immensely important that any anything done by young people is uh, anything done for young people, I should say, is, is made by young people. Otherwise, it will fail and it will be Steve Bashimi working up, rocking up in his uh, music band T-shirt. I was going to say, you, you met with RNZ's bosses and they asked you for lessons from Triple J. Mm-hmm. Just what, what were the most important things? What were the most important lessons from Triple J that you did pass on? Uh, well, I mentioned one before, and I think this is really important, is um, meeting young people where they are and being a multi-platform content maker. That's super important. If you are genuinely going to uh, engage with young people, you need to make content specifically for the different platforms. So you might not, uh, make a video that works on Facebook, but it doesn't work on Instagram, or you might make something on Instagram that doesn't work on Facebook. And so you need to be making content with the way young people consume it in mind. 
that's I guess lesson number one. Another thing that I spoke through is the support of New Zealand music and, and engaging with the New Zealand music industry. I think that's a, a real opportunity here. Uh, the commercial networks have have for years fought to um, get rid of things like the New Zealand music quota and and traditionally don't play a lot of local music. And that's fine. They can they they should be able to program the way they want. And I think this is an opportunity to alleviate any pressure on the commercial networks about their support of New Zealand music and see that heavy lifting being done by RNZ with this new brand and and have this new network being completely embedded with uh, young emerging New Zealand artists and support them from bedrooms to main stages. We kind of tried something like that before, though, didn't we? With Kiwi FM, which obviously didn't go well, it never got an audience and it folded. Mm. How do we establish something different to that? Look, I was like, I mean, the, the 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 problem with Kiwi that I think everybody could point to is the fact that it was it was one hundred percent New Zealand music. That is, that, you know, when that when that when that started, I was like, oh gosh, uh, how long is this going to go for? And I think. There is a lot of amazing New Zealand music out there, but it needs to be part of the culture of young people that do have access to the world's back catalogue of music on their phones. Mm. Uh, I, I want to change tack a little bit to, to the saga that's unfilled a bit this week, because I think last year you were involved in, I guess, a minor political scandal where you felt the Australian government was interfering indirectly in the decisions of Triple J regarding your Hot 100. Uh, hottest 100. Hottest 100. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. They're, 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 they're not to, not to be confused with the Hot 100, which is an American <laughs> uh, sales based chart. Absolutely. Thank you for the clarification. But I mean, do you have concerns seeing how this played out in New Zealand and the level of government involvement in saving Concert FM? Yes, I do have a concern about that, and that's that, that, that's one of the reasons I have been, um, I don't know, engaging with people on the, the Save Concert Facebook group because I think this does point to a misunderstanding that the government should be able to directly interfere with the operations and programming of the public broadcaster. Um, the, you know, what you're talking about that I was involved in in Australia sp- sort of went to the heart of this where – the chairman of the ABC at the time um, and the managing director of the ABC had a bit of a falling out. There, I mean, this is kind of history now, but there was suggestion of political interference with the public broadcaster. There was some emails from from the chairman suggesting that a polit- the chief political reporter who had written some articles about the government that they weren't happy with should be fired. Um, there was interference in the Hottest 100 campaign, which is which is what I work on with Triple J, and you know I was I was told quite quite blatantly that we couldn't make the ch- the programming change we wanted to because it would enrage the the Prime Minister at the time. So I think the approach to saving concert, while being successful in the in the medium term, and and I you know think that that's a valid and important outpouring of audience support, which is great. But doing that by putting direct pressure onto the government and then having ministerial, uh, I guess, intervention into the operations of Radio New Zealand, to me, sets quite a dangerous precedent. And I think that in the future, uh, supporters of Radio New Zealand and the public broadcaster, or even just the, uh, anybody that wants to be independent and be able to uh, provide editorial that is free from government uh, 
intervention should be concerned about the idea of going straight to ministers and saying, you know, jumping up and down and saying, you need to get involved here, and then and then actually seeing them do it. That's quite troubling for any public broadcaster. And I guess Chris Farfoy, the broadcasting minister, his argument is, you know, I'm not really interfering in their actual programming decisions. Jacinda Ardern, she said, this strayed because of the station change, the frequency change for concert into a structural decision. Do you buy that? I, it would be easier to buy if it came with genuine support for Radio New Zealand and the public broadcaster and, and what the aims are here. When you think about it, it's quite simple. If RNZ is there to help to hold the government to account in the same way that it's been holding the RNZ management to account, then there needs to be that independence um, so that they aren't just going to be scrutinised or have funding cut or, or whatever any time they make something or um, uh, unpopular or, or perhaps hold the government to account. So do I buy that they got involved because of structural things? I, I, somewhat. I mean, the act, there, there is that legal kind of um, discussion around whether Concerts FM broadcast is part of the, the act. And I think that's possibly, I'm no, I'm no lawyer in that area, but that's possibly probably got some merit given the QCs and the people that are involved in that area of the discussion. But hopefully this is a... Uh, a turning point for the public broadcaster in New Zealand to uh, get the get the resources it needs to actually hit a more diverse audience. And from here, maybe the government will provide that and then back out of it. We'll see. Thank you very much, Ollie Wards. Do you think that the voices of actual people that might listen to this youth network have been lost? I don't think they've been lost. I don't think they've been found. They, they weren't found at all. I mean, the um, and, and, and some people have been sort of commenting in, in the press and, and online that young people in New Zealand, oh, they don't, they don't want this. They didn't ask for this. But to that, I'd say it's quite difficult to ask for something that you don't know about. If, you, if, you can't, if, you, if you've never had something and you, and you might not even be able to imagine what it's like, what are the chances you're going to go around asking for it? And I would be the same. I mean, I grew, I grew up in New Zealand. I, I worked in the radio industry there. I, I was a big supporter of uh, commercial stations there and, and still am in a way. And I, I think um, it, it was only really when I moved to the UK to an extent and then, and then more recently, well, over the last 10 years, I've lived in Australia that I've seen how amazing and culturally important and effective a voice for the young people that can reflect their experiences, but also um, uh, empower and build their experiences and, and introduce new music and be a guide to new life experiences. How powerful and, and amazing that is. And I think Australia, even people that don't listen to Triple J are really proud of the offering. And at some point probably did listen to Triple J. And, and I would love to see what Australian young people have being provided to young people in New Zealand. I think it would be um, of cultural significance. I think it would be of landmark significance to the music industry in New Zealand. And I think it would um, be a real positive impact for young Kiwis and, and then generations to come. Cool. Thank you very much, Ollie. Cheers. That was Ollie Wards, the New Zealander who's the content director at Triple J, the youth-focused wing of Australia's public broadcaster, the ABC, talking there to media watchers Hayden Donnell.